You're listening to sermon audio from Grace Mosaic, a congregation of the Grace DC Network in Northeast DC. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org. The story is often told of one great singer and elderly Christian man who learned he had cancer of the tongue and surgery was required. In the hospital just before the operation, the man asked the doctor, are you sure I will never sing again? The surgeon, finding it tough to answer the gentleman's question, simply shook his head, no. The patient sat up for a moment. I've had many good times singing the praises of God, he said. And now you tell me I can never sing again. I have one song that will be my last. It will be of gratitude and praise to God. And it was there in the hospital, the elderly man sang Isaac Watts' famous hymn, I'll praise my maker while I have breath, and when my voice is lost in death, praise shall be my nobler power. I bring it up because here we have a man who, as he approached the last few moments he had to sing, recognized the beauty and necessity in praising the Lord. As he reflected on the faithfulness of God, what came out of him was a song of praise. And it begs the question, does it not? When you reflect on the Lord's faithfulness in saving you, what song comes out of you? What song do you sing when you recall the gospel of grace that rescued you? What is your response? How do you respond When you ponder the mercy of the Lord that came after you, embraced you, brought you in close, what happens in your soul when you think on the provision and protection of God over the last few years, how he's sustained you in the midst of unrest, centered your heart amid the protests, sheltered your family during the trials and storms of life when your back was pressed up against the wall, but he somehow provided a way of escape? The moments you've been unfaithful to God, though, he'll never leave nor forsake you because the Psalms declare that the proper response to the saving work, the salvific work of Christ, is a song of praise unto him. When the children of Israel were hunted down by those Egyptians all the way into the Red Sea, but God parted the Red Sea, rescuing his chosen people, Israel praised. When Hannah cried out to the Lord for a son after year after year of infertility and God provided a son in Samuel, Hannah praised. When the people of God wandered in the wilderness, uncertain where they would find resources or water, but but God made the well spring up again, the people of God praised. And this is our model for praise recalls that it was God's grace that saved me and not my own works done in righteousness. Praise reminds my soul there is someone reigning and ruling who remains in control. Praise enables me to lift up my eyes to the hills to see where my help comes from. Praise is what we render the Lord for all his blessings and benefits. And I must admit, if there were days, seasons where it'd be tough to want to lift up a shout of praise to the Lord, it has been the last few, has it not? We battle in our hearts to lift our hands and voices unto the Lord as we lament the discouragement, the trial and trouble that we've had to endure. There's a high school or college student in here struggling to worship the Lord with your whole heart, discouraged that you haven't been able to see Jesus at work at all in the world or in your life. There's some young professional who deeply loves God, though 
disappointment in relationships in your career has your mind in another place this morning. There's a parent wrestling to stay focused throughout the worship service as you fear raising your littles in this painful, hurting, divided world. There's an employee anxious for what's to come. There's a pastor who's, who's just trying to encourage his own soul as he fights fatigue from pastoring in this current culture, be that as it may. When the church rehearses the mighty acts of God's salvation, we remember that the Lord is still a savior. He's still a rescuer. And this is where we find David in Psalm 30. I must say it's an interesting psalm. These are dark circumstances for the king of Israel. David is in deep. He's in a dire situation. And while he doesn't fill us in at the opening of the psalm, why he is in deep, the circumstances that have led to his plight, it is evident that plight is written all over his life at the moment. David is in distress, in darkness, devastation, near destruction. But he has come to proclaim that God is a deliverer. God intervenes. He moves on behalf of his people. And, and when you and I reflect on the gracious, gracious salvation of the Lord, where, where we'd be if it weren't for his mercy, that should compel us to praise his name. In essence, David teaches us this morning, we ought to praise the Lord with our whole lives because he's been faithful to rescue us in our lowest moments. Allow me to use my spiritual imagination. David is a member of a historic church in D.C. It's a testimony portion of the service where congregants walk up stage to share their stories of God's amazing grace. And David is also excited that he now has the microphone. He says, God rescued me. Can I share with you my story? Can I walk up in this text? First, I've got to declare what God saved me from. It was holistic salvation. First, physically, God saved me from my enemies. Verse 1, David opens up. He says, I will extol, exalt, praise you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. Friends, First and Second Samuel teach us that David, while he was a leader of God's people, mightily used by God, David was a man of many foes. There was anyone in the scriptures constantly confronted by attackers. It was David. This is David we're talking about. David the shepherd, anointed to succeed Saul as the new king of Israel. David, the great commander of Israel's army. David, the one who would rule the United Kingdom, reigning over both Israel and Judah. David, who, though he was known as a man after God's own heart, still fell into grievous adultery, deception, and murder. As, as a member of God's covenant family, David knows about battling some enemies. From the time he was anointed to be king, David has people chasing after him, slandering his name, trying profusely to harm him, whether it be the jealousy of a King Saul, warriors from the Philistine army, members of his own family. David has faced many foes. And it's here in Psalm 30. He comes to a time in his life when the heat has been turned up much too high. The, the number of those attempting to assassinate him has grown. He, he can no longer hide out. Nonetheless, David has come to report that despite the attack of his enemies, he serves a God who has protected him. He serves a God who has sheltered him. When David assumed nobody could safeguard his life, the Lord stood up for David and like many of the psalmists, David has come to find that the Lord is indeed a shield for the righteous, a towering mighty fortress. He's always been a stronghold for the oppressed. And, and this word is a reminder to you and me that the same Lord who was a refuge for David is a refuge for you and me today. I know the world looks chaotic. 
I know it's becoming tougher to live as a devoted follower of Christ in our culture. I know there are those who oppose the church trying to tear down the name of Christ. I know society has turned up the heat on Christianity, slandering and abusing Christians. But know that there is a king named Jesus holding us up, standing in front of us. Christ is still on the throne. There, there may be rebels in his kingdom, but that never changes the fact that he's still the king. That he still reigns and rules and governs over all creation. That his eyes are everywhere, keeping watch on evil and good. That he has a plan for the righteous and the wicked. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, for they will soon be cut down. Has he not carried us thus far? Has he not fought on our side? May we follow in the footsteps of Jesus. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to God who judges justly. And trust your children to the Lord. And trust your family to the Lord. And trust your soul to the Lord, for he is our refuge. David says, my enemies could have overtaken me. They would have boasted and rejoiced over my death. But when I didn't have the strength to withstand them, God stepped in as my defense Though not only does David say that he was in distress because of his enemies, but David wants you and me to know that he suffered from illness, but God. Therefore, he praises God because he healed him of all his diseases. Verse 2, David proclaims, O Lord, my God, I called to you for help, and you have healed me. David explains, my, my situation grew so bad that I was aching. I was in so much pain that I was near the end of my strength. And though I was in pain, I had just enough to strength to cry, Lord. But when I cried for the Father's help, the Father heard me. God answered me and God healed me. And while David doesn't specify in the text how or what God actually healed, that simply communicates to me that whatever needed to be made well, it was the Father who performed the miracle. When David's feelings were stepped on, God picked them back up. After David lost loved ones, lost hope, became weary in his soul, God pieced back together the broken pieces of his heart. He healed David's aching bones and revived his tired muscles. When sickness and illness ate at David's body, God sustained him. When, when doctors had no good word for David, the great physician stood close by his side. When David never thought he'd be whole again, God made him whole. When, when destructive thoughts waged war in David's mind, God gave him a peace that surpasses all understanding. David says physically, emotionally, and spiritually, God has restored my health. I serve a God who hasn't met a sickness, hasn't met a disease that he cannot heal. And not only is he able to heal, but he's willing to heal. Therefore, I, I got to take a moment to praise his name because he's healed me. David is grateful to God for saving him from his enemies and healing him from distress. But, but David's distress was much deeper, for there was a point when his life sank as low as it could go. David was near death itself, but he praises the Lord for bringing David's life up from the grave. Verse 3, watch it. He declares, O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. David says it's tough for me to talk about, but there was a point I went so far that I had to use the name Sheol to describe my helpless estate. 
Sheol is that place of the underworld, the pit, the grave, darkness and destruction. In essence, David says, I was as good as dead. But God, like a bucket that's lowered to draw water from a well, pulled my life back up. For David was unable to climb out of the pit he was in. He, he had no way of rescuing himself. But, but when he had no hope to hold on to, no light, God brought him back up, raised him back to life. But he takes it a step further. He says, God, you restored me to life from going down to the pit. David explains the path I was on was leading to the grave. I had people I hung out with who were also going to the grave, but, but for some reason God chose me as I was going down to, to reach down and grab me before I could reach death. Inches away from hitting the floor at just the right time, God stretched out his hand and grabbed me by my shirt and pulled me back up from the pit. David says his spirit was as low as it could go, but, but God grabbed him. At the last moment, friends, this is what the Lord does in our lowest moments, our dark nights of the soul, as the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King told us. God reaches out to us in mercy as we are caught in sin, unable to restore our own lives. God moves towards us in grace, pulling us back up. As we are just about to give up in life and ministry, God, God will compel a friend to shoot you a text saying they're praying for you. In our dark days of feeling unseen, unheard, and uncared for, God will impress on somebody's heart to invite you in for fellowship. When you have nowhere to turn, God, what does he do? He turns toward you and pulls you back into his presence. Has he done it for you? Has the Lord encouraged your weary soul lately? Did he meet you as you were praying on your bedroom floor? As your heart was heavy, your soul was downcast? Did he bring you a word of encouragement? Did he reach down in despair and pull you back up to hope? David was done, but God wasn't finished with David. David had no life left in him, but God still had life for him to live. David could have remained in the pit, but God wouldn't allow it. He's a God who restores life from going down to the pit. Therefore, David lifts the Lord in praise because the Lord lifted him up from his distress. But David sharing his testimony is not only an opportunity for the church to rejoice with him, but it's an opportunity to see how God's character remains the same for those in the church. And this is what David invites God's people into. David proclaims the goodness of God's salvation, but then calls the, the congregation to join him in praising God. He says in verse 4, Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. David shifts from declaring how God delivered him to, to calling the church to share his joy and use their own voices to extol the Lord. He says, I praise the Lord for his steadfast love and faithfulness, but, but I invite you, church, to praise him as well. You see, David knows we ought to continually praise the Lord for who he is. As Russ, Russ preached last week, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Worship him in the splendor of his holiness. But, but David also calls the congregation to give thanks for what the Lord has done. Can you see with church? David is on the mic. He's excited. He says, the Lord protected me from my foes. Many in the church shout, amen. He says, then the Lord I cried to him and he healed me. Some people stand up in excitement. He says, God restored my life from going down to the pit and others start to clap. 
David moves. This is where he starts getting crazy. He says, now I need y'all to start singing praise to him as well. And a couple start to join in. But at the same moment, others grow upset. Praise God. David, it's easy for you to praise God when you're on the other side of your deliverance. But me, I'm in a pit right now. Exhaustion, loneliness, sadness and stress, pain in my work, strife in our country, broken relationships, physical ailments. You preachers are always telling me to praise God, to tell God, thank you, why? But watch David's answer as to why you should praise the Lord amid hardship. Because of the Lord's promise that sadness is temporary, but gladness is everlasting. Trouble is momentary, but God's favor is for a lifetime. For David declares in verse 5, weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. In other words, though we may cry and ache and suffer today, at some point, it all will have to cease. Night cannot last forever, but morning always has to follow. That word Terry in the original language gives the image of a traveler who lodges with one temporarily, a guest who spends the night, stays over for the night. And for those of you who have hosted guests at your home who have overstayed, they're welcome. You know they might have to spend the night, but in the morning, and David declares that tears and affliction may have to spend the night. The sadness and sorrow might have to stay a few nights. But when the morning comes, they all got to leave. Joy is assured. Joy is on the horizon. This is the hope of the Christian. This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. The sufferings of this present time cannot compare to the glory that will be revealed. Goodness is coming. God is always moving. David wept over his sin with Bathsheba, but God forgave and healed him. Job wept after he lost his children and his possessions, but God restored everything twice over. Jesus wept over the death of his friend Lazarus, but the Lord said, Lazarus, come forth. Mary wept as she watched them crucify her son on Friday. That tomb was silent on Sunday, but early on Sunday morning, the tomb was empty. He says, pain will not last forever. Death won't always be a reality. Tears won't always fall down my face. This is why Paul said we're afflicted but not crushed, perplexed but not despairing, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, for we know that joy... God will restore what's been lost, though for some of us it might not be on this side of eternity. But our confidence that our situation will change is not in the situation itself. It's, it's God above the situation. We've tasted and seen the Lord's goodness. We, we know his character and his love for us. We know that for those who are in Christ Jesus, joy is assured. And, and because joy in Christ is assured, we can rejoice ahead of time, because we know deliverance is coming. Though I'm currently in the night, I'll praise him like it's the morning. Now David slows it down, he, he has a confession. He says, I, I had y'all praising with me, I haven't admitted it until now. I proclaim to you how God rescued me from the pit. But I didn't tell you why God had to rescue me from that pit. It was my own fault. 
I've got to declare, I've got to admit why God needed to reach down and rescue me. Verse 6, David confesses, As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. Now up to this point, David has only proclaimed that God saved his life. He described what God saved him from. But remember, David never disclosed in the opening verses the cause of his distress, the situation that led to his despair. He, he only mentioned that he was in a desperate situation from which the Lord had to rescue him. But it is here where David begins to fill in the background of his crisis. David explains, the reason I found myself in a pit on death's doorstep is because I turned from the Lord in my prosperity. The Bible tells us that it was God alone who chose David, anointed David to be the new king of Israel. It was God alone who lifted David to prominence in the kingdom. God alone who ascended David to his high position and sustained him in that high position. It was God alone who blessed David with abilities, leadership opportunities, gift and military victories, so much so that David prospered and was secure in his rule. However, it was in the Lord securing and prospering David that David became self-confident and arrogant. He interpreted the blessings of God as his own accomplishments. But even worse than David attributing his success and rule to his own doing, he became self-sufficient, prideful in his own power to preserve him from trouble. I shall never be moved, David used to tell his friends, refusing to acknowledge that it was God's hand alone that was holding him steady. It was by God's favor that his mountain, his rule, had any stability. And this is the temptation for you and I this Sunday, friends, that, that when our lives are stable, when we're succeeding, when our nation is flourishing, we forget that it is God alone who has been our security. We disregard the favor of God over the music we make, our achievements and accomplishments, the, the high positions we've attained, the places we've been. We often fail to acknowledge that it was the Lord who gifted us with those talents and abilities, the Lord who wakes us up every morning to go to work and accumulate accumulate the wealth that we have, the, the Lord who gives us the intellect to study at school, the, the breath in our lungs to fulfill our daily tasks. David became self-confident and self-sufficient. Though it was David's favor from God, David became secure in his own strength. During my first couple years of seminary, I had the privilege of volunteering every Thursday I would go down to North Ch Chicago Community Partners. It was an elementary after school program and I love those young ones. It was one of the highlights of my seminary education. I would walk in and they say, what age group? I said, I'm a Christian man, I'm here to serve. They said, we need help in kindergarten. I said, my, my Lord. Um, <laughs> but one day I was in the kindergarten class and the kids were making uh, some sort of craft. One girl, her name was Frida. Uh, she had to be about four or five. She was making a a color in a picture for her mother. And she waved me over. She said, Mr. Chris, can you write my mother's name on this picture for me? And I wanted her to think that she wrote it herself. So I said, all right, take the marker. And so she grabbed the marker and I simply put my hand over hers and I drew the letters for her. I knew it was me drawing the letters. I knew that if I would at any moment remove my hand, things would get messy. But we sat there for a few moments, and, and I drew the letters of her mother's name. And, and fast forward a few minutes, minutes later, it's pickup time. 
I see her mom running in. She's so excited to see her daughter. And Frida runs up and she says, mother, look what I made. And the mother was overjoyed. Oh my gosh, look at this. And look, you spelled my name right. She says, yes, because I did it myself. And I said, <laughs> I said, but then I got convicted because how often do we act the same? We look back at the rear viewer, rear view mirror of life at our accomplishments and achievements every place we've been and we forget that it is only by God's grace that we had a hand on top of ours. But, but is there anybody in the church who can admit if God had allowed me to write my own letters, if God allowed me to direct my own steps, where would I be today? But I'm thankful this morning that he's kept his hand on me, guiding me, ordaining and orchestrating the events in my life, providentially moving all things according to his purpose, telling me to say no when I wanted to say yes, instructing me to turn right when I wanted to turn left. It, if it had not been for the Lord, and this is where David messed up. He, he failed to remember the care of God and entrusted, instead trusted in himself. He stopped entrusting himself to, Lord, to the Lord's provision and protection. He stopped seeking the Lord's face. And, and as discipline for David's pride, God had to remove his face from David. God removed his presence. What a sad day when God removes his presence. God took away his favor and protection not because God was done with David, however, but this is redemptive, for, for this would remind David that every good thing in his life was a blessing from above. In order to get David back to seeking his face, because for some of us, it isn't until God has to remove his hand that we remember to seek his face. It's not until we face a pandemic, until we face a trial, until we come to the end of ourselves that we realize just how insufficient we are and how much we need the Lord. David says in verse 7, God, when you hid your face, I was dismayed. God, when you left, I was troubled, terrified, staggered, and stunned. When, when God removed himself, David became distressed. Nevertheless, it is in the distress that we learn just how sufficient the Lord is. And this is exactly what happens to David. He finds himself in a pit. And from the pit, he cries out to the Lord for deliverance. Verse 8 and 9, he says, To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? In David's lowest moment, he knows he's turned from God, but he decides to cry out to the Lord anyway. He pleads for God to show him mercy. Notice the content of David's prayer, however. What's his argument to God. God, what profit is there if I go down? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? David lists these rhetorical questions to proclaim to the Lord that, that he will receive no praise if God allows him to die. God, if you don't rescue me, who's going to be able to testify to your amazing power, to your mighty acts of deliverance? Who's going to tell of your goodness and mercy? If I die, what, what good news would there be to proclaim? Who's going to tell the world of your greatness, O Lord? And, and here David is sharing some rich theology. He's explaining the reason God showers us with his forgiveness and mercy is not so we could keep that message to ourselves, but that we would tell others about it, that the, the ultimate end of God's mercies is our praise of him. 
For it was Peter who said, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. David argues he would be unable to praise Yahweh or tell others of his faithful restoration if he were dead. But then he goes a step further. He cries out in Lord, in verse 10, Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. Be the one who comes to my rescue. Be a helper to me, Lord God. And, and here we see the wondrous mercy of God on display. After David cries out to his God, watch what the Lord does. God inclines his ear to David. God is moved with compassion for David. God extends grace to David. And this is the character and nature of our God. For God said of himself, I am a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Though it was David's own fault, he was in deep. Not only does God listen to David's prayer, but God ran to his aid, reached down and pulled David up. As one pastor in Chicago put it, God's grace anticipates our rebellion, yet it ensures our salvation. We do not deserve to be saved, but, but God will still save us. And, and now David is here to tell not only of God's rescue, but of God's restoration. Verse 11, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. David, who is just in Sheol, weeping and wailing, is now making shouts of joy and celebration. David says, I, I must give God glory because he moved me from one state to another. He's turned my life completely around. He's taken me from sorrow to laughter, from sadness to pleasure. He's restored my excitement, renewed my strength. God, God gave me a reason to get up this morning, a reason to smile and lift my hands in church again. He's delivered me. Anybody got a testimony like David? Has God done a great exchange for you? You done ran from the father's house, came back, and he done gave you a robe and a ring. He killed the fattened calf. He threw a celebration. Did he take your loneliness and give you a church? When you had no direction, did he put you on his path? When you were covered in guilt, did he clothe you in righteousness? When, when you didn't have the strength to hold on in faith, he, did he hold on tighter to you? Has he filled you with his presence, covered you with joy? David says, he's turned my mourning into dancing. And because of God's gracious salvation, David vows to live a life of praise unto God. Verse 12, he closes, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. Oh, my Lord, I will give thanks to you forever. David recognizes that God is worthy of worship, deserving of all his praise. For the word glory refers to one's whole being, one's entire life. Thus, God, because you delivered me, every part of my life will be of praise unto you. What does it look like for us to be a church whose life is filled with the praise of the Lord? And as I close this morning, in our psalm, we, we learn that humans often find ourselves in distress, in dire situations, whether it be on account of our own sin and rebellion or merely because of the fallen world that we live in. We end up in pits near Sheol, unable to rescue ourselves in need of a savior. But David is here to proclaim that God is a rescuer. 
God is gracious and compassionate, faithful to save his people in our lowest moments. And he is worthy of praise. David knows this because this is David's story. Though I've come this morning two days into D.C. to declare this ain't just David's story. For David wasn't the only one in the pit. But you and I were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once, once walked, following the course of this world, unable to revive ourselves or reconcile the chasm that separated us from God. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us according to his own mercy. He didn't leave us, but saved us in Christ from weeping to dancing, from night to morning. And now Christ calls us to respond by praising him and not being silent, by proclaiming the to the world the good news of God's grace. Jesus is a wonderful, merciful Savior. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Grace Mosaic. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org.